This last week, I also had to put a new battery in my lawnmower. See, I realized that I should probably change the battery when I've been jumping. We've got a riding lawnmower, you know. Have you guys ever had been in a car with a dead battery? You pull a car up next to it and you jump it so you can start it. Well, I've been doing that with my lawnmower this entire summer. I've been pulling it up next to our car and jumping it. I'm thrifty. Not cheap, thrifty. So anyways, I've been, I've been, I've been jumping our lawnmower all, man, this is bad. I've been jumping our lawnmower all summer. Well, this last week, I mowed our grass. Well, the lawnmower died on me. Thankfully, it was in the front yard. I've actually had to die in the backyard. And if you know our house, it, like, it goes down. And then behind the pool, and that one time I had to die twice way in the back. Seven hours later, I pushed it up, I got it pushed up front. No, it was only an hour or two that it took me to push it up front. No, it wasn't that long. But anyways, uh, this last week I was mowing the grass and I was up by the driveway emptying the bagger from the lawnmower and the lawnmower died well, so I pushed it next to the truck and I turned the truck on, you know, get the jumper cable hooked up. I turned the truck on and I get the jumper cable hooked up. And I let it charge for a little bit because it takes a little bit of effort to get it charged. Um, so I hook it up, and I let it charge, and then I go over there, and I want to start it. So I get on the riding lawnmower, I push the brake pedal down, and I, I crank it. Well, I still had the battery cable hooked up, and apparently I, I, I tried to crank it a little bit too long. And I look at the jumper cables, and there's smoke rolling out of them, and the plastic is melting off from them because there was so much current traveling through it. And I determined at that moment that I should probably get a new battery for our lawnmower before I break my car or start a fire. Uh, so this week I went over to Home Depot. Home, my, my, my daughter can say Home Depot really well. So we went over to Home Depot and she's like, Home Depot? Yep, Home Depot. So we went to Home Depot, $46 for a battery for a riding lawnmower. And then they stick you with what's called a $12 core charge. What that means is I didn't bring a bad battery back. So they're like, we're going to make you pay more. So like, what is that? Like $58 or whatever it is later. I'm like, come on, I should go to jumping it again. But I got a new battery and I stuck it in there and it made me think of something. Do you guys know why we come to church? People have different reasons why they think we come to church. Some people say, well, we come to church to learn about God. Yeah, you should learn about God here, but that's not the primary reason why we come to church. See, we come to church because we need a little bit of a recharge. We need to get charged up. We need to get built up so we can get sent out. You guys should be learning about God all week long. You shouldn't have to come to church to learn about God. So we come here in this place so we can get together. We can have fellowship of the saints, you know, community. So we can have community. We worship together. We listen together. We get charged up so that we can go up out those doors back there and we can get this transform the world by the way we live. You guys have heard me say this. Why do we come to church? We come to church to experience the fullness of God without restriction and tr- so we can go out we could transform the world by the way we live. We are called to be world changers. You guys know that we are called to to do incredible things. God has a specific plan for each and every one of us in this room. Some of us might might change the world in big ways. There might be a future president of the United States sitting in this room. Some of us might be called to change the world in small ways, to serve maybe at a school. 
But God has a specific plan for each and every one of us. And we can't do it on our own. So why do we come to church? We come to church to experience the fullness of God without restriction and transform the world by the way we live. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It says, do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20s, Jesus is talking, and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What does that mean? Go and transform the world. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I love this. So God's saying, go out, do awesome things, and behold, I will always be with you to the end of the age. This last month, we've been talking about some different people inside the Bible that have transformed the world by the way they lived. Who can remember what we, who we talked about first? No, Esther was after that. Mr. Ronzi talked about Esther two weeks ago, because last week was Father's Day. So two weeks ago, Esther, who was right before Esther? Hold up, let me see if I can. Yeah, you remember? Moses. This is a story all about how Moses flipped Egypt upside down, and I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how a slave freed Israel when scared, I think is what I said. I can't remember. I have it typed up. And then West Egypt, born and raised on the playground is where, and oh, that's the wrong, West Egypt, born and raised in the palace is where he spent most of his days. You remember this? Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and growing up, learning and acting a fool. When a couple of guys who were up to no good started fighting in his neighborhood, he got in one little fight and he got scared, decided to move out to the desert when nobody can. Remember this? Do you guys remember this? Come on. So we talked about Moses. Keep going. Uh, He didn't take much time getting out that day. Just grabbed all his stuff and started on his way. Put his sandals on. Can't remember the last line. Yeah, there was something about like hopped over the thicket, tripped over the hedge. That's right. Might as well. Oh, might as well kick it. Whatever. Anyways, that that was three weeks ago. If you weren't here, you missed me rapping. We had the actual song going too. It was kind of fun. Um, so we talked about Moses first, then we talked about Esther, and today I want to talk to you guys about Joshua. If you're taking notes at the top, write down Joshua, strong and courageous. That's a good word, courageous, strong and courageous. I noticed something interesting when I was preparing today's message. The punchline for all of our messages are exactly the same. God called an individual to go out and make a difference, and these individuals responded by saying, okay, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put aside what's comfortable to me, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to do what you've called me to do. You had Moses. The Israelites were trapped in Egypt. They were enslaved. Moses has an encounter with God in a burning bush in the desert, ends up going, getting the Israelites. God uses him to use the Israelites to free them, and then you have them going through the Red Sea, right? This, This is what happened. 
Well, Esther did the same thing. The Israelites were in a bad situation. God calls Esther to step up and step out. And Esther goes before her husband, the king, and rescues the Israelites. The same thing is true about Joshua. All of these guys had God call them to do something, and they responded. And it kind of made me think about something. I wonder how many people through all of history have had God call them, and they've done nothing. See, if Moses would have been at the burning bush, had an awesome encounter with God, and not done anything, would we read about it? Probably not. If Esther would have had an encounter with God, be called by God to do some great things and not done anything, would we read about her? The question is, or the answer is probably not. So that that makes me kind of wonder how many people have heard the call of God and have not been strong and courageous and gone out and done something. I would probably bet that billions of people have missed the call of God on their life because they're too afraid. So today I want to talk to you guys about this guy named Joshua. It's interesting, Joshua takes over for Moses leading the Israelites. So if you rewind from Joshua a little bit, you got Moses just took the Israelites out of Egypt, snatched them up, drug them out, drug them through the Red Sea. Well, actually not, they split the Red Sea, walked through on dry ground. So you had them go, I mean, some incredible things have happened, right? God has done all the plagues. They've walked through a sea on dry ground. You know, this is incredible stuff. They get to the edge of the promised land. What does the word promised mean? None of you guys know what promised means? Cricket, cricket, promised. It's, It's like guaranteed, right? Yeah, it's like guaranteed. For that, I got candy. Yeah. Sorry. That's dangerous. And it's dark, so you can't even see it. That's awesome. Let's replay it. No, I'm joking. It's promised land. It defines itself. God has promised this land to the Israelites. So the Israelites get up out of Egypt, go through the water, you know, walk through the desert, get to the edge of the promised land. Imagine all of us standing and like the stage right there is the promised land. Moses gets the really good idea to pick 12 people, one from each tribe, and send them into the promised land to check it out. I probably would have given them a little bit more instructions, but this is what Moses did. He sends them in there, and he says, look at it all, survey it, tell us what it's like. So he goes in. These spies go in, 12 of them go in. They go in, they search all through the promised land, and they find all this cool stuff. And this is what they do. They First of all, two guys carry a cluster of grapes. How do you guys carry a cluster of grapes? Like this, right? Two fingers, maybe, if it's big, three. This cluster of grapes needed two people, and they tied it to a pole. So just imagine, these are like big grapes or something's going on, you know. Or they're really weak, yeah. Or they're really, really weak. No. No, the land is is described as flowing with milk and honey, meaning it's so beautiful, it's so vibrant, it's so healthy. So these guys go in and they survey it all and they come back and they talk to everyone in Israel. And they say, the land is incredible. You wouldn't believe how vibrant it is. 
It's so healthy. So they say that. And then 10 of them say, but, I hate it when buts get in the way. Man, it's the worst. The land is great, but, okay, a couple of you got that. It was supposed to be funny. 10 of the 12 say it's awesome, but there's giants in the land. Literally giants. You guys know the story of David and Goliath? People like that, like literally giants. We are dwarfs in their eyes, and they say we can't take them. Ten of them give bad reports and say we can't take them, but there's two guys. Everyone hold up two fingers. Two guys. Two guys say, come on, it's promised land. What does it take? The God that just threw hailstones the size of small SUVs at the Egyptians, maybe not. It's in my head I read it that way. The, the God who, who, who caused frogs to an, take over all of Egypt. The God who caused the Nile River to turn to blood. The God who rescued us out of Egypt and used something that was trying to hold us back like a sea to take out our enemy as we walk through on dry ground. That God is on our side. So these two guys, what do you think one of them's name is? Joshua. Joshua. What do you think the other one's name is? Wait, did I hear it? It wasn't Moses. No, Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. So these two guys come back and they're like, come on. But it says that all of Israel believed the ten. Everyone believed. So this is what God says. Since you don't have faith in me, you can't go into my promised land for you. So everyone in Israel that was of a certain age and older had to die in the desert, so they wandered around the desert for 40 years. I mean, how, how long can you spend in a desert? I mean, really, like, first of all, 40 years in a desert is pretty incredible. Um, 40 years, if you just picked a straight line and walked in a straight line, if you just said, okay, we're not going to, we're going to walk just towards the sun when it's setting each day, so we make sure we walk in a straight line, you would eventually get out of the desert. But they wandered around a desert for 40 years. Anyways, everyone that, everyone that was basically of adult age, everyone that was of adult age, except Joshua and Caleb, end up dying in the desert. Moses is about to die. And in Exodus 31, in Exodus 31, Moses says a couple things to Joshua. So Exodus 31, starting in verse 1, actually he's talking to all of Israel. It says, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all the Israelites. Remember, they're standing in a desert. So they're standing in a desert. And remember, they have not trusted God, remember? All these people did not trust God. So, Some of them didn't trust God, but there's new ones coming up. So anyway, uh, it says, Then Moses went and spoke these words to the Israelites. He says, I am now 120 years old. Okay, first of all, that's old. Anyone seen a 120-year-old dude? There's got to be some wrinkles going on. He says, I am now 120 years old, and I cannot lead you anymore. Yeah, you're 120. You need a cane. The Lord told me I would not cross the Jordan River. 
See, Moses didn't trust God either. Therefore, he wasn't able to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. It says, the Lord your God will lead you across himself. He will destroy those nations for you, and you will take over their land. Remember, this is key. This new generation rising up, their parents did not trust God. So Moses is saying, God will take care of you. God will do it. The Lord will do these due to those nations which he had done to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, when he destroyed them and their land. The Lord will give those nations to, man, my eyes are like wigging out. The Lord will give those nations to you. Do to them everything I told you. Then he says this, be strong and brave. Don't be afraid of them and don't be frightened because the Lord your God will go with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. I think it's very interesting that Moses, who did not trust God, therefore he could not go into the promised land and had to spend his entire end of his life in a desert, just like so many of the other Israelites, is telling this new generation, be strong and brave or be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid of them and don't be frightened. And then he says, this is why you can be strong. This is why you can be brave. This is why you do not have to be frightened. It says, do not be afraid of them and do not be frightened because the Lord, your God, will go with you. Everyone say, he will go with me. He will go with me. We have a promise from God that God will go with us as long as we stick in his word, as long as we're living according to him, as long as we're following the Holy Spirit's call on our life. God says he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. He will never forget about us. It's funny that God says I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. It's funny that you can forsake someone when you're in their presence, but God says not only will I never leave you, but I will never forsake you. That word forsake means turn the heart away. God says, not only will I never leave you and abandon you, but also I will never turn my heart away. If I had maybe about an hour, I'd love to sit down with you because I bet you each and every one of us have thought that God has turned his heart away from us at times. But God says, no, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. If you read the story of Israel as Moses is leaving and Joshua is coming into leadership, it's very funny that just about eight to nine times God tells Joshua and the Israelites, be strong and courageous. Over and over, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And then over and over again, God adds, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. As you go into this land and you're facing giants, be strong and courageous. As you're stepping into that battle line and you got to draw your sword, be brave because I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The problem is so many times as we go and we step into something that seems a little uncomfortable, we get out on the waves when the waves are getting strong and we're in the middle of a storm. So often what we want to do is think, God, where are you? Why are you so far away? But God's like, no, I'm right there with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, you can be strong and courageous. I think the words that God spoke to Joshua 
maybe should ring a little bit louder in our hearts. As you're standing there and someone's attacking you because of your faith at school, maybe those words should just kind of ring in our heart and in our mind. Be strong and courageous. For God will never leave me or forsake me. As you're sitting there and you're making the decision not to watch something that your friends are watching online or a movie because you know that it's wrong, you know that you're going to see inappropriate things, you know that that's bad, and you make a decision not to and your friends begin to torment you because of it, maybe those words should just ring in our heart and in our mind. Be strong and courageous, for God will never leave me or forsake me. If you're taking notes, write down the word set apart. How many of you guys were last weekend in the worship center when Pastor Dwayne was teaching? He brought up this word holy. He defined it really quick. He just said set apart. If you want to add set apart for God, set apart. If you look up on Google, it just means dedicated or consecrated to God or a religious purpose. It means sacred. We are called to be set apart. Joshua was set apart. You see, Joshua made a habit of sitting in the shadow of Moses and in the presence of God. Joshua knew that he was called to take over and lead Israel. So he made sure that he was in the shadow of Moses wherever Moses was. He followed Moses around. He would be up there when Moses was talking with God. He would stand outside the tent. He made sure that he was in the shadow of Moses. And more importantly than the shadow of Moses, he made sure he was in the presence of God as much as possible. Romans 12, 1 and 2 that I read earlier says, I appeal to you. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What did that say? It said, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do we do that? You spend time in God's presence. When Joshua's getting ready to take over, just taking over, I should say, leading Israel. You've got a verse in Joshua 1, chapter 8, and this is what God says to Joshua. He says, do not let the book, the book of the law, which means the Bible, depart from your mouth. God's saying, don't forget about the Bible, just memorize it. And then he says, meditate on it. Do you guys know what the word meditation means? Do you guys know how cows eat? You know how cows eat? They like take, take grass and then they swallow it. And then what do they do? Dude, that's puke it up? No, they regurgitate it. It's so much cooler when you say regurgitate. They puke it up. They puke it up and then they chew it a little bit more. Do you know that that word has the same meaning as that? What God's saying to Joshua is he's saying, take my words, swallow them, regurgitate it in your mind, swallow it again, regurgitate it in your mind, swallow it. It's saying, get the word inside of you. And God says to Joshua, if you do that, everything you do, you will prosper. It's interesting to me. Joshua 
Joshua learned something that I think is very important for us. If we want to truly know God, and if we want to truly know that he will never leave us and forsake us, if we want to truly be able to be strong and courageous, we have to spend time in the presence of God. We have to. If we don't spend time in the presence of God, there's no way that we'll be able to stand through storms of life. There's no way when God calls us to do big things that we'll be able to do those things if we don't stand in the presence of God, if we don't spend quality time in the presence of God. Have you guys ever been in the room with somebody that's physically there, but mentally they're like somewhere else? Like you're talking to them and it's, hey, did you hear that? Or, you know, whatever. Have you ever been, have you guys ever been in there? You know, it's, it's okay. I mean, maybe the person's going through something or they're thinking about something, but like you talk to them and they're like not there. God says he will never do that to you. God says he will always be present in the room with you physically and his heart is with you or his mind is with you. God says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Joshua was set apart. Just like Joshua was set apart, we are set apart. But the thing is, is our setting apart does not happen because of our actions. Our setting apart happens because of Christ's actions, right? What did Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says? Our salvation is not because of our works, but it's because of God's grace through Jesus Christ. Our setting apart happens because of what Jesus did on that cross. So not only was Joshua set apart, but Joshua was was called out and called up. If you're taking notes, write down, called out and called up. Over and over again, Joshua, Joshua is told, be strong and courageous. I think it's very interesting that, that God says this over and over again. And I think it's because so often fear tries to hold us back. Are any of you guys afraid of anything? I'm afraid of stuff. Uh, let me, I'll just tell you a little story. When I was younger, I was afraid to go in the basement. I was afraid to go in the basement. And I think part of it has to do with the mean trick that my brothers decided that they planned on me. Uh, you guys know what a register vent is? in the side, in the wall. Well, my room growing up, I didn't have one in the wall. I had a giant square one in the floor. It was about that big, just a big square grate in the floor. And it wasn't like, hey, it turned and went that way. It was like you could see straight down. It basically looked like you could see into the center of the earth that was so far down there. Well, one day my brothers decided that they were going to tell me that a monster lived down there. Dude, it's not... It's not funny. I'm still going to counseling for this. No. Uh, See, what they did is they didn't only just tell me this. They took two shiny things that were red and dropped them down there. So when you shine a flashlight down there, you saw two red things. Do you know what red things look like when you're shining a flashlight and you're like five? Yeah, it looked like red eyes looking back up at me. So I was terrified. Fear tries to hold us back. I do not like airplanes. I do not like airplanes. I would much rather travel on the ground. If God wanted me to fly, he would have given me wings. I do not have wings. I do not like airplanes. However, I will do it. You got to medicate me slightly. No, you don't. Um, It's the taking off and the landing part and any turbulence in between. If it's smooth, I'm good. I'm good, but the... 
yeah, I think we just dropped a mile and a half, you know? That's what it feels like. Roller coasters, not a fan of roller coasters. Fear tries to hold you back. God knew that Joshua was going to experience things as he walked the Israelites into the promised land that were going to try to hold him back. So over and over again, God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God does not give us a spirit of fear. This week, I found a website that lists every phobia. So I decided I would test your guys' phobia knowledge. Do you know what a phobia is? It's a fear. Um, I'm gonna, I got six of them here. And if, you could tell, if someone could tell me what it means, and Jacob... Where are you at? Oh, I did he? <laughs> Sorry, Daniel. I just called you your brother's name. I should have you hit me right now. You can't answer because you were here last service. Unless you get the last one if no one else has it, okay? Because I don't think anyone will get it unless you're here last service. Okay, I've got peanut M&Ms and chocolate M&Ms. Three, four, three. Okay, anyways. You guys look at this. Who could tell me what arachnophobia is? The fear of spiders. Regular, right? Arachnophobia. How many of you guys don't like spiders? You know, spiders used to kind of bother me, but then I went on a mission trip. Hold up. Hold up. Clap once if you hear me. Several years ago, I went on a mission trip to the DR. And the, guy, the, the girls got to sleep in a nice house. The guys had to walk down the street around the corner to a church. And when they say church, all it is is a cement building. And the cement walls come up, and then there's posts that hold the roof on, and there's nothing in that gap. It's just open. So, I mean, anything can call, come in. So when you're, when you're sleeping in the DR, and I could tell you some fun stories. Um, Anyways, arachnophobia. How about this? Who could tell me what claustrophobia is? Way in the back. Yep. Fear of small spaces. Do you like peanut M&Ms? I'm going to try to hit you with this one. Yes, that was it. Okay. Someone got this next one last service. Pretty surprised. Pyrophobia. Pyrophobia. The fear of fire, good job. Pyrophobia is the fear, the fear of fire. I know, if I was naming it, it would just be fire phobia. All right, here we go. I hope I got these right. Pronunciation, I do not take responsibility for the fact that these words get really big. Arcophobia, acrophobia, acrophobia. No. Not the fear of heights. Anyone else got a guess? The fear of flying. The fear fear of flying. You were close, but you didn't get it. You're close. All right. Now if you guys get these, I'll be really super impressed. Two more. One Here's the first one. Glossophobia. G L O S-S-O-phobia. Fear of public speaking. Which one would you like? 
Good job. Okay, now this one, you guys all have to remember this. This is the good thing just to be able to throw out at somebody. It's, anyway, hold up. I got to read it so I can pronounce it before I say it. Okay, ready? Sidonglobophobia. Sidonglobophobia. If you get this, what is it? No. No, it's not the fear of the globe. <laughs> Wait, hold up, hold up. I couldn't hear him. What was it? It's not the fear of big words. That would have been a good one for me to get. Right here. Did you look it up? The fear of cotton balls. Are you kidding me? What happens? You walk into Michael's and you see the rack of cotton balls. You're like, ah! <laughs> fear of cotton balls. That's ridiculous. Maybe someone actually has it. I don't wanna I don't wanna downplay someone's fear. Maybe they're maybe maybe it's the fear of being drowned in cotton balls, like a pool full of cotton balls and you can't get out. Something? Here to, th- wait, this is how you say it. Sidon Globophobia. Sidon Globophobia. Sidon Globophobia. The fear of cotton balls. Fears, I, I define fear myself. Fear is an expectation of future harm, where faith is an expectation of future blessing. You see, fear and faith are kind of opposites. If you have faith, you believe that in the future you're going to receive blessing. If you have fear of that moment, you believe that something's going to cause you harm. It's an expectation inside you that looks at something and says, it's going to cause me harm. I don't know how that works with cotton balls. I don't know. But I know how it works with airplanes. And I know how it works when I was younger looking into that register vent. And I know how it looks and works when you're talking about a basement, because I experienced that. Have you guys ever noticed that fear seems so real in the moment? Have you ever noticed that? It seems so real. When I was going on a plane several years ago, my wife and I were traveling down to Texas. And it's so funny how you could sit in a seat in a plane completely fearful of what's about to happen, yet make a conscious decision to continue through of it. Several years ago also, I was uh, going on a roller coaster. And I remember like it locked in and I remember I looked and said, I have just committed myself to death. No, I didn't say that. Um, I said, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. Fear tries to hold us back. Courage Courage is not the absence of fear. Do you guys think courage is the absence of fear? A lot of times people think courage is the absence of fear. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is just simply the realization that something else is more important. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the realization that something else is more important. When we're talking about claustrophobia, 
small spaces. If that small space means that you get to experience something awesome later, you're going to choose, even though you might be afraid of it, to do it. Uh, public speaking. I am actually terrified of public speaking. I am. I'm, I, I will let you know. I've, why am I speaking right now? Because I realized that, that courage is not the absence of the fear of public speaking. No, it's the realization that me doing what God has called me to do is more important than the fear. We can make a conscious decision to say, I'm going to choose to do this, even though I may be afraid. See, fear is going to try to hold us back, but God is going to call us to do incredible things. So God goes to Joshua as Joshua is starting to take over, leading the nation of Israel. And over and over again, he makes this statement. Be strong and courageous. 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 See, God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. God will never leave you and he'll never turn his heart away from you. Jesus, as he's getting ready to let his disciples go out and change the world, he says, and remember, wherever you go, I will always be with you. Can you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to do two things. First, I want to pray over each and every one of us in this room. You know that song, Oceans, as we were singing, it says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. As I walk upon the waters... Wherever you will lead me. As we follow God, he's going to challenge us to get outside of our comfort zone. But when we get outside of our comfort zone is when we grow and we can also do incredible things. So I want to pray over each and every one of us real quick. I'm going to pray. And then after that, I'm going to give an opportunity where if you have not asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, I want to present you with that opportunity before we walk out of here. Father, I thank you for each and every person in this room. Lord, I believe that you truly have called us to incredible things, that you're going to do awesome things both in us and through us. And sometimes those things might seem a little crazy, seem a little bigger than we can handle, seem like they're a little farther than we can go, seem like they're a little challenging for us to do. But in those moments, Father, we ask you that you will help us to trust you. Lead us past the point of us being comfortable in and of ourselves and allow us to learn to be comfortable in you, Father God. We trust you that you will never leave us and never forsake us, Lord. And we choose to be strong and courageous because you are with us. What I want to do is I want to open up an opportunity that if you have not asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, when I count to three, if you say, today I want to do that, today I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, when I say three, raise up your hands. Every head bowed, every eye closed. One, two, three. Raise up your hands right now if that's you. If you say, today I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, today I want to turn and follow him with everything that I have. Father God, I thank you for each and every person in here. I thank you for the fact that we can live for you, that we could turn our hearts towards you, and we could choose in everything to follow you. We love you, Lord. We thank you, and we praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.